Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Running Hooks Basketball Power Hour. I am Alex Burr, once again, joined by my great friend, Dylan Hughes. Dylan, um, <laughs> I, I can't really think of a curveball. What's, what's something good that you've eaten lately? That's, I guess that's my curveball for this one. Mm, something good I've eaten lately. So, okay, so I was talking in the last podcast about being in Colorado. Um, or maybe it was two podcasts ago now, but, um, so I want you to judge this idea and maybe you've seen this before. I did not see this before. I have some friends in Colorado and I was visiting them when we were out there. He took me to this place that has, it's like, um, it's like a loaded nacho, but it's on fries and it's got, it's Buffalo chicken. Hmm. And it seems like such a simple idea, but I've never like seen it before. And it was amazing. Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds, sounds delicious. Yeah. It like, I kind of want to, I kind of want to steal it and like open up a restaurant in the Midwest that has something like that. Cause I've never seen it. Maybe it's out there. Maybe the listener um, can give some feedback here, but or if you want to go into business with me, let's fucking start a business. Like let's let's open up a buffalo chicken loaded fry restaurant. Well, Dylan, have you ever had poutine? I have not. I've heard from That's, our Canadian friends a lot about it. That is essentially poutine. Yeah. Is what you're describing. Right. Um there there is a couple of restaurants in Indy that have good poutine that I could I could point you to, but I know you don't want to go all the way to indie, but necessarily also, you're going to be at the, your, your band. I know this will be probably posting after the fair. Um, go check out the big damn Reverend Peyton's big damn band at the Indiana state fair. You know, this, this will definitely be coming out after they're performing at the fair, but you know, if somehow you can listen into this zoom, make sure you're checking that out. But you're going to be at the fair soon, Dylan. You might as well go get some fair food while you're there. Yeah, I'm going to have to. I haven't been to a state fair in it's been over 10 years. Like the the train was still active when when the last time I went, um, which, by the way, pretty depressing when they took the train away. Uh, actually, you probably I don't know about the train. Yeah, you don't have as much attached as the train, but I don't know where the train starts actually or where it started. It definitely ran through Noblesville and through Fishers all the way down to the state fairgrounds. And a few years ago, they took it up, they tore it up and now it's a walking path, which is like, we have enough sidewalks people. Okay. We have the Monon trail. We don't need another walking path and the walking path. Actually, I don't even think extends past Fishers. Like I don't think Indianapolis has picked up on it yet. So it's, it's been kind of sad. I miss hearing that train horn from my house. Um, but you know, I'll have to take a vehicle to the state fair this time and, and get some terrible fried foods that are delicious. Enjoy yourself, my brother. Enjoy yourself. That's not why we're here today, folks. We're here today to talk our third and final redraft. We're going to be redrafting the 2016 draft. Dylan, this is the one that stood out to you. What stood out to you about this draft in particular? I mean, it's just loaded. 
the top seven picks are just all awesome players. And you can even go a few more down and still get some really good, like, starters, all-star level type guys. Really what – like, looking at my my board right now, it's just amazing how it's changed over the years from who was topping the board to now who is topping the board. I mean, it's – there's been a lot of movement in the – really, like, the past year or two, I think a lot has changed – for most NBA fans of how they would redraft this draft. So I'm pretty, pretty interested to see where we both go here. Yeah. This draft is, is really interesting. Um, probably of the three we've done the by, I'd say by far the worst second round. <laughs> it's not really like Malcolm Brogdon, you know, is probably going to be a top seven pick. For both of us, it would, it's safe to assume he's going to go in the top seven. Um, if Visa Subach is probably going to go in the lottery. There is literally the probably next best second rounder after that is probably George Niang or Jake Lehman. Um, Jake Lehman hardly played at all last year. <laughs> so this second round was really was really nothing to cry home about. And yeah, Dylan, I I think the first round was kind of like loaded with talent. <laughs> and we see like there's a lot of like there's a couple guys who are all star slash all NBA who were drafted in the last five picks of this draft or in the first round. There's like a lot of guys like there was a few players who were drafted outside the lottery who were going to be in our lottery. But the second round, man, <laughs> it just gets brutal. It's absolutely brutal. Yeah, I mean, it's the second round is always kind of a crapshoot. Um, to be fair, like, I kind of want to look at some more recent drafts. I feel like the second round has become good every year. Like, yes. is that is that is that just me thinking that or what? Well, let's I'm going to let's look at the 2017 second round because we're not going to redraft 2017 for probably if we do this next year. Well, okay. So 2017, the best player out of the second round is probably Isaiah Hartenstein, who just signed. Oh, okay. It's not Isaiah Hartenstein. It's Monte Morris. Monte Morris and Isaiah Hartenstein are like the only guys who are still in a rotation. Or, sorry, forgot about an obvious one. Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks, Thomas Bryant, just naming the guys who are playing still. Um, Frank Jackson is getting run, but, you know, he's on the Pistons, so he doesn't really count. <laughs> you know, um, Sterling Brown, same thing. He was on the Rockets last year, so it doesn't necessarily count. Um, so the second round that year wasn't really that great. 2018 second round was on par with like 2018 second round. Okay, so that one was really loaded. You had Jalen Brunson. You had Devontae Graham, um, Mitchell Robinson, Gary Trent. Those are that's 33, 34, 36, 37. 41, you have Jared Vanderbilt. 42, you have Bruce Brown. 45, you have your guy, Hammy Diallo. 46, you have DeAnthony Melton. Um, Chemezi Metu, who broke out with the Kings a little bit last year. And then Shake Milton, who was a rotation player for the better part of the last two years. I think with Melton, <laughs> the Sixers have Melton and Milton now. But with Melton coming in, he'll probably be out of the rotation. But yeah, this, I feel like the second round 
has gotten a lot better recently. Um, there was a couple of years though, like 2015. <laughs> like it, it just feels like it's a crapshoot sometimes, is what I'm saying. Like 2015, yeah. you have Shetty Osmond with the first pick, Montrez Harrell with the second pick, um, Willie Hernan Gomez, fine player, Rashawn Holmes, pretty good, took him a while to become something, Josh Richardson, Pat Connaughton. And that's about it. Let's see. Is there any? Yeah. Unless you want to count JP Tokido, who never played. <laughs> so, yeah. Second round is always a crapshoot, but I think your point stands is that 2016 first round talent was just absolutely, absolutely stacked. So, Dylan, I'll let you call it heads or tails. Well, tails is one twice, so I feel like I should go heads. Tails won again. So I get the first pick. And with the first pick in the 2016 redraft, I am going to go with Brandon Ingram. Mm. I think so. Here's the thing with Ingram it's going to be a slow burn, it's not going to start off pretty. But if I'm picking first, I don't need to, you know, win right away. It's not the NFL. You know, I give myself a year or two to collect more assets. But man, I think Brandon Ingram's a special player, Dylan. I don't know how much of that first round series you watched, but he was putting up numbers. He was putting up some special, like special numbers against Phoenix. He, Mikhail Bridges took CJ out of the game for the most part. So he was their only shot creator for the majority of that series. 27 points a game. On 47% from the field, 40% from three, got to the foul line eight times a game, 83%. Six rebounds, six assists. I mean, for your first playoff run against a legitimately great defense, against a team that's specifically designed to stop you, and you're only 24, six years after this draft, he's not turning 25, I think. When's his birthday? His birthday is not till September 2nd. So he's not turning 25 till almost the start of next season. So like when this podcast is coming out is when <laughs> his birthday is. Dylan, that's insane. I feel like he's going to be, if this is his, like, if he doesn't get better than this, he's still like a top 15 level guy to me. I, I feel like that's an easy first pick. Where, where, where did you have Ingram going? So again, maybe some recency bias, but <clears throat> I actually had Ingram too. And I can discuss my number one pick in a minute, but uh, I mean, I, I'll give myself a pat on the back here because I did have Ingram like number one back when this draft actually happened. And as a caveat, all of my studying was just YouTube highlights. So I'm not going to act like <laughs> I'm not going to act like I did some really great scouting job, but there was just something I always liked about him more than Simmons and I believe was he, I think Ingram was was he the number one prospect or was it was it Simmons? I know they were top two. He it, basketball reference has him at four. I'm going to look up two four seven sports real quick. Okay, okay. So either way, he's up there. But I always liked Ingram more, and I'm I'm happy that he's developed the way that he has. 
because you know when he was playing in LA, like that first year, he showed some promise. Then LeBron comes in, and they don't really fit too well. And and a lot of people, of course, as what happens with Lakers fans is by year two, if they're not superstars, then they really start to question whether they're ever going to be good. So a lot of people question Ingram. Then he goes to New Orleans and really starts to shine. And as you just discussed, he's become just a killer. I mean, he, you know, it's kind of funny. Everyone always talked, like everyone compared him to Durant, which comparing young prospects to like Hall of Famers is, is something that happens every year. And, you know, understandably, most people were like, he's not Kevin Durant. Like, don't do this. But, like, if you watch the way he plays, man, his mid-range game is really freaking good. And, like, I can understand why people compared him to Durant because, like, he's not as good of a long-range shooter, but just the way he creates space and, like, gets his shot off, it really is similar to Durant. And, like, it's – he's just so – so good in that mid-range area and he's just gotten a lot better in all facets of the game in the past couple of years so he, he's a guy i'm excited to watch grow moving forward and he's definitely deserving of being the number one pick so uh, real quick i pulled up the 2020 or the 2015 recruiting rankings who was the top recruit um according to 247 Ben Simmons, number one recruit. Not really surprising. Um, you know, Montford, big program. Would you like to guess who the number two recruit was? Because it was not Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram was third. Oh, man. I feel like it's someone maybe like that wasn't drafted in this draft. Is that he was be- drafted in this draft? Okay. Um, he went to Blue Blood. Mm, that does nothing for me. <laughs> um, big guy. <laughs> Oh, was it Thon Maker? It was not Thon Maker, but that's a oh, it's a good guess. Marquise Chris? It's not Marquise Chris. I don't even see him on here. Huh? No, I'll just go ahead and tell you, Escalabissier. Oh, yep. As soon as I saw that name, I was about to say it. I forgot about the Scal thing, man. <laughs> he was the number two recruit. Brandon Ingram was three. Jalen Brown was four, and Chick Diallo was five. So. Hell of a hell of a top five there. Um, let's just go ahead. Who is your number two pick, Dylan? So I'm going to go ahead and go with Jalen Brown. Okay. Um, again, recency bias for sure. But, man, Jalen Brown has just become so freaking good. And talk about comparisons. Like, I think he's been compared to Paul George for a while. And I think he is probably going to become better than Paul George when all said and done. Like, if you look at his game right now, there were a lot of people, and I know this because I watched Paul George his entire Pacers career. As soon as – when he was a rookie was the year I really started getting into basketball. So, he was not a very good dribbler early on in his career. That was one of his main downfalls. And that's what a lot of people are saying about Jalen Brown right now is that he's not a good dribbler and like, especially side to side, you know? And again, Paul George, same thing happened. Once he got to OKC, you could really see his handle start to develop. And now that has 
his handle is good, and that has really allowed him to become a much better offensive player. I don't think like I don't think it's going to be hard for Jalen Brown to get on that level. And I think Jalen Brown right now is way better than Paul George was at this age. I just think he's a lot more dynamic on offense. I mean, Paul George was a freak athlete, but Jalen Brown, I think, is a lot quicker than Paul George was. Um, a lot more – like, Paul George relied on finesse a lot, and I feel like Jalen Brown's a little bit more of, a, like, a wrecking ball type of player, which I think is good. Like, it, you know, you can draw fouls easier, gets to the rim and all that. Uh, I mean, Paul George was a really good defender. Like, they may be equal on defense. I don't know. But – I think I think he's got that in him, and I think he's. I mean, we just saw him in the finals. You know, he's an awesome player right now, and he's going to be one of the best wings this league has for a long time coming. Oh, for sure. Um, I think Jalen Brown. Your point about the dribble is well well stated. I personally think if I was going to compare either of the Celtics wings to Paul George, I think. Tatum reminds me of Paul George, just like in terms of like physicality and the way they play a yeah. lot more. Like yeah. I think Paul George or I think Tatum resorts to the finesse stuff a lot more. I think Jalen Brown is like in a class of his own because he's just like a wrecking ball. Right. Like you were saying. And <laughs> I'm not going to say he's Kawhi because Kawhi is a little different. Honestly, kind of reminds me. I don't know who it reminds me of because there's not a whole lot of wings that have played like Jalen Brown. If Jalen Brown he doesn't even even need to have like a Paul George S candle, right? He just needs to be able to drive with his left hand. That's literally it because the warriors, something I noticed in that series is that they were just sitting on the Celtics left hand the entire time. They're just like, okay. Or they were sitting on the right hand and they're just like, okay, you're going to beat us left. It was him and Tatum for what it's worth. And they're like, okay, you're going to beat us going left. And neither of them could. Both of them were just like, no, we're going to use our left to get back to our right. That's not, you know, I do think you can develop your handle. Like, look at DeMar DeRozan, right? I think one of the things that's unlocked DeMar DeRozan this late in his career is because he's gotten a lot better as a dribbler. A lot better, you know? One of the reasons Katie's been as good as long as he has is because he's an elite dribbler. Brandon Ingram, one of the reasons why I think he's so good is because I think he's a really good dribbler. I think he can drive either way. So that's, you know, <laughs> it's tough, but I think Jalen Brown... I don't think you could really go wrong with him or Ingram first or second. Um, you okay if I move on to my third pick, Dylan? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to go with Pascal Siakam for the mm. third pick. Now it's a little bit older. Um, he's a little bit older, but he's become, he's developed into an all NBA player. He's made two all NBA teams. I think we need to start realizing that the fluke was the years that he wasn't playing in Toronto. Um, <laughs> rather than, you know, everyone's like, oh, that all NBA team was a fluke. No, I don't think it was. We saw last year, even in the playoffs, he was doing some special stuff against the Sixers. Once Fred went out and he had to like, he had to do that stuff. He had to put the team on his back. He was doing a great job. He's just, you know, he's not that guy, which is okay. But if he's your second best player, I think you're at a point where if he's your second best player, you could probably win the championship. And I think that's a guy you take third personally. I, like, and you just hope, you know, even if he's your best player, you're probably going to win, you know, 45 games. So I'm taking Pascal third. Where did you have Pascal on your board? So I actually had him at five 
but I will say like, I think Brown and Ingram were like the first tier. And I kind of see those guys as guys that could be the best player on a championship team. And this next tier is more like the second best guy. So like, I mean, I have him like of those three guys, I have him third, but honestly, like it's kind of a toss up. Um, so like, I, I completely understand where you're coming from. You know, last year on our top 100, I may have put him a little bit lower uh, than I should have. And as we discussed it more, I was kind of regretting that decision. And he proved me wrong this year for sure. Um, so I definitely think, you know, my concerns were, I think he, he kind of stamped out all the concerns I had last year with, there were some, like some fit things and just some of the style he played with. I think he kind of, he kind of figured a lot of that out and maybe it was nurse that, that kind of put him in a better position as well. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's in, he was a late round pick, you know, he was uh, like 27th, I believe. And he has just really grown into a, I'm not going to say a dominant player on both sides of the floor, but he's really good on both ends of the floor. And he's definitely one of the better complimentary pieces in the league. I'll say um, to just like give your point a little flourish before I move on to your fourth selection. I think he's about as good as you can be without being dominant on both sides of the ball. I think that's probably a good way to put it. Like he's really, I think he's really close to dominant on defense. I would say Um, he's, I would say he's more of a game changer than dominant on defense. Like Swiss army knife, almost like you could use him in so many different ways. Like you could use him as the head of a snake on a, you know, full court press. They weren't using him that way that last season because he led the league in minutes per game. That wasn't going to happen. Right. It just with the load he was carrying and with how like few guys they played. um, Yeah. It just wasn't going to happen. I think this year with them bringing in more front court depth, I'll be curious to see if, nurse puts the ball in his hands as a backup point guard more. I really liked that last year. That was really fascinating look for me. I I think he's one of the most versatile players in the league. I, I think he's a true Swiss army knife. We don't have a whole lot of those. I think it's probably just him at this point, honestly, because he can play point guard. He can play center. He can play all three positions in between. <laughs> I mean, he's, I'll say this. He's what people thought Lamar Odom was. Mm. And I think, that version, like that fully realized version of Lamar Odom is an all NBA kind of player. I think you would agree. But like you said, I don't think he's, I, I agree with your premise that he's not going to be the best player on a championship team. And I agree that if two guys had the potential to be the best player on a championship team, it would be Brown and Ingram. So who do you have as the fourth guy on your list? So I'm going with DeJounte Murray next. Hmm who is another late round guy that has really blossomed, especially in the past couple years. I mean, I think during the top 100 last year, the comp I kind of gave him was DeMar DeRozan with defense. And I think this past year, he kind of proved exactly that. I think he became a lot better this year on offense. And with DeRozan out of there, really taking control of the offense and, and leading things. And I am just so fascinated to see him and Trey. It's it's maybe one of the 
like of all the changes we've seen in the offseason, I feel like that duo is the one I'm most interested in watching how they play together because like Trey is so good with the ball, but he's obviously a great off ball player too, because of his shooting. And you would think, and DeJounte is a good off ball player too, despite not being a great shooter. So it's just going to be fascinating to see how that pairing works. And I'm excited to see Murray like outside of the Spurs system and playing with like, you know, this is talent that he really hasn't played with, at least in a while, this level of talent that's on the Hawks. Um, so I'm just fascinated to see how his game changes being in this role. Um, but, you know, I just – of all the players left on the board, I just feel like he's the most reliable on both ends of the floor to just be a consistent contributor every night and – like I mentioned, I think it's possible he could be the second best player on a championship team. I totally agree with you there. There's a reason why I think a lot of teams are willing to sell out their futures to get to Jante Murray this summer. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence either that you could separate DeMar and DeJounte and they both have the best seasons they've had in forever. Um, you get more spacing around both of them. You're, the Hawks situation is going to be a fascinating one to monitor because... I could see them being like a home court team in the East. I could also see them, you know, being like a low play-in team just because the East is so deep. And Murray's going to help impact a lot of that because he's a triple-double threat every night. We've seen that. And we've seen him. He's one of the best defensive players in the league at his position. So I'll be really curious to see how he goes about doing that. It's funny because I had DeJounte at five. I had his twin brother, Jamal, <laughs> at, four, at four. So I've been going with Jamal Murray at five. For those that don't know, Jamal Murray is not related to DeJounte Murray in any way, shape, or form. But I had Jamal Murray at four. I think, and I'll, I'm going with him here. I think Jamal, for me, has just one of the highest scoring ceilings. And I think that this is, I'll be curious to see, I'm, okay, so is he in this tier that you're referring to? Is he in this three-man tier for you? Yeah. Okay, so I'm guessing he would be the second player in this tier? Yeah. Okay, so uh, I, I, so we both had him fourth then. That's funny. <laughs> um, he's a really special scorer. What he did in the bubble... The way he exploded after, I think you and I would agree in 2020, like it was a fine regular season. Like he wasn't anything special, but the way he and Jokic, like I think, and he and Jokic played off each other, but I think Murray's the type of talent where if you put him on a team without Jokic, he could still do major damage. I don't think he'd score like 25 points a game in a playoffs, but I think he could, he could be a 20 points a game scorer aside from Jokic. I think he's that talented with the ball. And I think Murray, to me, he's just a really, I want to see him come back. I want, I, I think if he's healthy, even in spite of the health of Porter Jr., I think the Nuggets are one of the three best teams in the West next year. <laughs> like, they're going to be so hard to stop offensively. The Warriors couldn't really stop them. <laughs> it's just they couldn't stop, the Nuggets couldn't stop the Warriors, you know, so... 
man, Jamal Murray is a special player. What are your thoughts on Jamal Murray real quick? Yeah, I mean, it's I echo a lot of what you just said. I mean, he's just he has one of the highest ceilings of anyone in the league as far as putting up points. And um, we've seen it, as you mentioned, we've seen him just do some crazy things. And he's just such an awesome guy to have next to Jokic who creates some of the best looks in the league. And he's like, he's, dare I say, like the modern day Kyrie, which sounds stupid because Kyrie's still around and still good. But as far as like being a second banana and being like a finisher, like that's kind of, I think I've talked about this a lot where I think basketball is like creators and finishers and some are both, you know, like the top, the top tier guys are both, but I view Murray as like one of the, the top like finishers in the league, like a guy. And I don't say finishers is like around the rim, like just completing plays, you know, making shots. He's one of the best in the league. I think, uh, especially having a guy like Jokic or LeBron or, you know, whoever, like these great creators. Like if anyone playing with those kind of guys, I think Murray's one of the best at just completing plays and, and also adding, you know, his own, uh, his own creation on top of that. So he's just awesome. And I'm, I was sad he wasn't able to return this year because I just continue to be high on the nuggets. I've really, ever since they, they uh, made the conference finals a couple of years ago. I've, I've been tooting that horn thinking they're going to make the finals and I'm just going to keep, keep doing it until it happens. So, and, and Murray's going to be a big part of that. Yeah. And he's, so just like to look at his career playoff numbers, he's played 33 career playoff games because his first playoff season, they made the second round and played, Game sevens, both series. So he's played a lot of playoff games already. He's played 33 playoff games. Um, 24 points a game on 47% from the field, 40% from three, um, 90% from the free throw line, six assists, four and a half rebounds. Like you said, I think the Kyrie comparisons are a really good one because, yeah, I don't think I'd want him being like the primary initiator. I don't think he could be like, you know, he's not Chris Paul. <laughs> Right. But you put him next to a Luca, you put him next to like a Lamello. He's going to thrive next to those guys because he's making, he doesn't have to make do the initial stuff. He can just finish the play and he can put the ball in the basket. And there's, I think it's a special duo with him and Jokic. So that's my number five. Who's your number six, Dylan? I think this is where it starts to get, get a little interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to let this player drop anymore despite the, definite criticism we're about to give him but it's Ben Simmons I mean Mm. for me it's you know anyone that listens to this podcast knows that I am not very fond of Ben Simmons at this point I don't think many people are considering and this is a fair point who knows if he's even going to play basketball anymore I, I don't I don't quite understand what's going on with him but um it just on the floor He's one of the best defensive players in the league. He's a great passer. And those two things alone, I think, put him above the rest of the players in this draft. And, you know, if you want to look at the landscape of the entire league, he's definitely not as valuable as he was like two years ago, you know. And I think his mental state is maybe a part of that. Uh, You know, just his decision-making on the floor, 
I think he's got an overblown ego and it's really impacted like his ability to improve as a basketball player. Um, and again, this is just sideline diagnosis. Like, I don't know anything about him personally, but I feel like that's become the consensus opinion of him over with his actions the past couple of years. But, but despite all of that, you put him on the floor, he's going to be able to lock up most players in the league. He's going to be a good distributor. And, you know, when he wants to, he can make more happen on offense. He doesn't always do it. But despite his shortcomings, I still think he's better than the rest of the players on this list. That is completely fair. I will say I had my next guy over him because of the off-court concerns. Um. But what you're saying is completely well-founded and in typical Dylan Hughes fashion, using really good logic and reason. How dare you? Um, Yeah, when he's actually playing, he's one of the best, like, I'd say 40 guys in the league. And if you get that guy at six, it's pretty good value. I mean, he didn't play his first year, but he wasn't really super injury riddled the last couple of years this year was, you know, its own thing. But I think I, you know, I've been saying this Dylan, I don't think doc and Joel got enough blame for their part in this whole Ben Simmons thing. Yes. It was bad that Ben passed up the dunk. Yes. It was bad that he didn't want to play for the whole year, but it's not really that great for the coach and the, best player on the team to come out and throw the guy under the bus after the game. Like that's, you know, in public, that's like you, I mean, we know this Dylan, you got to say that for the locker room, say that for behind closed doors. Don't say that for like, or leak it to the press, you know, the old fashioned way, (laughs) (laughs) but you like, I think the point is, my point is, is that yeah, Ben messed up. I don't think he handled that situation the right way. But I do think, like, you know, shocking, I believe in the complexities of situations. More than one party can be held accountable for this. And I think that Doc and Joel, I don't I don't think they're getting their fair share of the blame for this situation because they they kind of caused this beast. And I think if they just kept their mouths shut, everything could have moved in silence. And Ben Simmons is probably traded at the like probably traded in July last year. Yeah, I mean, it was mishandled by basically everyone involved. Including Daryl Morey, too, by the way. He deserves some blame, too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and to be somewhat fair to him, he kind of just walked into that situation. Like, it was an inherited type of deal, but I don't know. I... It's... That stuff's all in the past, to be fair. Like, Ben Simmons was on a new team this year and just didn't play. Yes. You know, so to act, you know, getting out of Philly, you would think he'd be eager to play. And I know he technically had an injury or whatever. I don't even remember what it was. I don't think anyone actually cared what what he was dealing with because they there was bigger storylines to worry about. But, you know, I and it sucks because I actually think and I talked about this. I think that situation was perfect for him in, in Brooklyn. Like, of all teams to play for, I mean, unless he was going to go replace Draymond in Golden State, 
like of all teams to play for and all players to play with that team in that situation would have muted his problems the most. And he just decided not to play. And now, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with that team. It seems like all three of those guys want out now and who knows, you know, what will actually happen, but it's just a weird, it's a weird thing. And it sucks. And we talked about Kyrie earlier on in the first pod with off the court stuff. It sucks that off the court stuff has to spoil these conversations so much, you know, but it's, it's an important part of the conversation when it's impacting on the court stuff. That's, I mean, couldn't say, couldn't have said it any better myself. Um, I'll go ahead and move on to number seven. I have DeMontis Sabotis here. Um, made a couple all-star teams with the Pacers. Um, just a solid player. I mean, not like my ideal modern NBA center, but he gets the job done. I mean, Dylan, how do you feel about DeMontis Sabonis here at seven? Yeah, I mean, this is where I had him, and I know you had him above Simmons. And I'll just say the reason I had Simmons above him, and it's not completely fair to Sabonis because he never had someone like Joel Embiid on his team, but we saw the ceiling with Sabonis, and it was first-round exit. We saw it year after year. And again, like he never really had a teammate that was better than him. Like it was kind of just a bunch of guys that were on his level. So, you know, we basically saw Sabonis as like the best player on a team. And it was first round exit. Simmons, I feel like has a higher ceiling than that. And again, he had Embiid to help him. But he had a lot more playoff success as far as wins. I mean, he had a lot of playoff shortcomings, as we just discussed as well. But that was my reason for having Simmons above him. But um, Sabonis, I mean, Sabonis is awesome. I loved having him as a pacer. I loved trading him for Tyrese Halliburton as well. That was a great move. But he's just a fun guy to watch. He's one of the few centers in the league that can run an efficient offense. I believe he's gotten a lot better on defense as he's gotten more into the league. I mean, he's, he's done a really good job of figuring out how to put himself in a better position to defend because he doesn't have the longest wingspan and he doesn't jump the highest. So despite the fact that he's like six eleven, you know, he has trouble blocking shots, but he's really good at positioning his body to challenge shots. He's got good hands. So he doesn't really have a ton of weakness in his game. He's not as good of a long range shooter as you'd like, but he's gotten better there as well. So he's a guy that doesn't have a ton of weaknesses, but his strengths are like, they're like, he's a really good player. He's definitely like an all-star level player in some years. I mean, I think there's enough players now that have surpassed him or he'll probably never be in that conversation again unless he takes some sort of crazy leap. But, I mean, he's like, you know, we talked about Vucevic last pod. I think he's, he's like, going to have a career like Vucevic where he's just a really good starting center that gets all-star consideration here and there, but isn't much more than that. But you still take that player if you've got him for 10-plus years. Oh, for sure. If he got his dad's height, then this isn't even a conversation. He's probably going first. <laughs> yeah. His dad was seven three. He yeah. got short shrifted on short shrifted on the height in air quotes there. But if he was his dad, like by all accounts, his dad, like he's 
Domas is really athletic. He's really athletic. Like the only thing I you said it, the only thing really holding him back is the wingspan. Because he's I think he's like he's pretty quick, but he just really can't like you know, he's a he's a big guy. He can't really contain like that. That's fine. He's you know, typical big stuff. Um if he was seven three like his father, <laughs> he's definitely a top twenty five player because that's <laughs> but he's not. So what you see is what you get, and that's still a pretty damn good player. He'll make a couple all star teams and he'll live, he'll live with himself. Um, Dylan, I believe it is your pick. Who do you have at number eight? So next, feel like it's a pretty easy pick. I'm going with his former teammate Malcolm Brogdon. Okay, um, gonna be gonna be teammates with um, top two pick Jalen Brown. You know, I just it's he's an interesting guy to talk about because I feel like people have kind of soured on him in recent years because he's not been the best player on the team, but he was a second round pick. And like, I, there was really no reason to ever believe he was going to be the best player on a good team, like a really good team. I think, I think that first year out of Milwaukee, he, you know, had a really strong year, but I, I don't know. It, it, kind of resembled the Victor Oladipo a little bit to me without the injury where, like, it wasn't sustainable how good he was playing that first year. And, again, he's still much – like, he's much better player when he's he's got the ball in his hands. He's definitely capable of more than he was in Milwaukee and proved that. And I think the situation in Boston is going to be good for him now because it, it seems like it's going to be the perfect amount of responsibility where – He's not gonna. He's not gonna just be sitting in the corner, but he's not gonna be dominating the ball all the time, trying to create for everyone else. He he's gonna be more like a tertiary option, you know, and and a lot of like the stretch, the final stretch of games. Um, it's it's gonna be Tatum Brown, and then it's gonna be him. So it's gonna be interesting to watch that. But I mean, he's just another like Sabonis type of guy where he's going to get all-star consideration here and there. He's doesn't have a ton of weaknesses, but doesn't have like a top end strength either. Just like a really reliable starter for his entire career. And uh, again, injuries have been a problem and hopefully he can get that under control. But uh, when, when push comes to shove, he's a really good player. Yeah. I think you've said everything. I want to say, I'll just add this one thing. He's like a smaller guard version of Pascal Siakam, but worse. (laughs) Like he does everything really well. He just is worse and that's okay. You don't have to be as good as everyone, but yeah, he, I like him a lot. Um, I think he's going to do really well with the Celtics and truth be told, I think he's their third best guard already, but I listen, I don't, he's not going to play over Marcus Smart. That's just not going to happen. But or he's, I'm not saying third best guard. I think he's their third best player. Um, but we'll see how that plays out. Number nine, I'm going to go with the I'm going to go with another Indiana Pacer. <laughs> Three straight guys who played for the Pacers. I'm going to go with Buddy Heald. Um, it's one of the best shooters in the league. And I mean, college player of the year, one of the probably we were talking about hyped up guys. I think it was that the last episode coming out of college. Or I think that might've been the first episode we were talking about Jimmer. Um, yeah, Buddy healed. 
was really hyped up coming out of college. He had a great season in Oklahoma and really has been a great shooter his entire time in the league. And I think wherever he goes next after Indiana will be really great to have his service. We'll be really happy to have his services. Any thoughts on this number nine pick Dylan? Yeah, he, this is where I had healed as well. I mean, I'm interested in your thoughts on this because we haven't talked about this, but man, like there's been a lot of conversations around Buddy Heald lately, namely because of the whole Russell Westbrook potential trade to the Pacers. And I feel like Buddy Heald has become like way underrated. There's a lot of people that are just acting like Buddy Heald is just salary filler in some of these deals. Like the reported deal with Westbrook is like Westbrook in a first or maybe it's two first, or I think it's just one for healed Turner and like uh, maybe it's just those two, but like that is a horrible trade for the Pacers. I think the reason it's been getting caught up and who knows by the time this is released, maybe those guys are both Lakers. Um, the reason it's been getting caught up is because the, the Pacers want a first round pick for both of those guys. Like not like one for each, but just like, Hey, we're going to be taking on a salary and we're going to be giving you two rotation players. Give us an extra first. And the Lakers are like, nah, we don't want to do that. So I think that's been the holdup, but yeah, buddy played 81 games last year. <laughs> last year was by far his worst shooting season. And he still shot like 37% from three on like nine attempts a game. He's going to bounce back. Regression to the mean is going to favor buddy healed. Like regression to the mean hit Julius Randall hard, but regression to the mean is going to hit Buddy Heald really well, and I think he's going to bounce back, have a huge, like, three point season next year. And yeah, I I totally agree with you. He is really underrated at this point. He he can dribble, he can shoot. His defense isn't that great, but I mean, shoot. <laughs> I don't think there's a guy that Rick Carlisle wants more in Indi- to stay in Indiana than Buddy Heald probably. Yeah, I mean, like, as a Pacer fan myself, I want him to stay. And there's, like, a million guards on this roster. Like, it makes total sense to trade him, especially if you can get, like, a late first. I mean, I think that would be a great value. But I just – I like him so much as a player. Like, it'd be hard to let him go. And he seems to like Indiana, which, you know, us small market fans, I think, always value when a player wants to stay because it's so hard to attract players here. For sure. Uh, but, yeah, like, it's just insane to me that the Lakers would really balk at giving up two firsts. And, by the way, those two firsts are in, like, seven years when LeBron will be in a retirement home. There's, I think that's why they're balking, Dylan. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. But you have LeBron freaking James. You're trying to win a championship. You could get Buddy Heald and Miles Turner – and get rid of Russ like those getting rid of Russ is a huge benefit in itself, but those two players on the Lakers, like I think they up their odds by a huge amount. Oh, They avoid the plane. If they get those two guys. Yeah. I think that's pretty safe to say. It seems like such an easy move and they've already invested so much draft capital into this team, namely Anthony Davis. Like who at this point, who cares? You have two like, I mean, you have LeBron and, and AD obviously has the past few years hasn't been as great, but his ceiling is one of the best players in the league. Like you need to invest in that team. 
I can't believe that they're really making it this hard on themselves, but you know, that's a whole nother pod entirely. I totally agree. Um, number 10, Dylan, who do you have? So this is a point in the draft that is pretty tough. I think we can both agree. There's a major drop off here. Um, I'm going with Ivica Zubac. Uh, the reason being, I feel like he, I mean, he's just been a solid starting center for years now. And he's been a guy I've really liked watching just kind of a simple, like play his role type of guy. Um, the reason I have him here over some of these other guys is, is because of like that reliability on both ends of the floor. I mean, he's not a guy that's really going to kill you unless the other team's going small or something, but everyone else on this list has just been really iffy at times and is probably better coming off the bench. Zubac, I think has earned his role as a starter and he's definitely a starting center in the league. So I feel like this was the fair spot for him. You make fair points. I have a couple of guys ahead of Zubac, but I, I can't disagree with your logic there. Um, he was really good. And I thought, I don't know why he didn't get more run against Aiton in the conference finals last year, but what do I know? I mean, I, I praised Ty Lue in one of the earlier episodes. I, I should apologize for blaspheming against who I believe is the best coach in the NBA. Um, I'm at number 11. I'm going to go with Karis LeVert. I mean, again, you're right. Real quality drop-off. He is probably, in terms of actual just quality of basketball player, he is one of the best players in this draft. But in terms of resume, he is not. (laughs) He has just been, um, to be quite blunt, he has been a disappointment. But it's mostly been because of injuries. So I feel like, you know, this is this isn't a make it or break it year for him. But man, it's gonna be real interesting if they choose Colin Sexton or if they choose Karis Levert over Colin Sexton, because that's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting choice. I I, I don't know how you justify it, but man. <laughs> Again, you're right. It's getting real bleak because all most of these guys are bench players or sub, you know, guys that probably shouldn't be starting. <laughs> Um, do you have any Karis Levert thoughts before we move on to 12? Uh, not really. <laughs> Let's go ahead and move on. Let's go ahead and just minute rapid fire through these last three. Who do you have at 12, Dylan? Um, so I'm going to go ahead and go with Yaka Pertle here. I think, I think if we did this a year or two ago, I probably would have him lower, maybe not even on the list. Cause you know, we talked about him a few years ago where like, his defense was just really bad and he was really good coming off the bench. And we thought, Oh, it just gives him more minutes and he'll be good or he'll be better. And then he got more minutes when Aldridge was out and it's like, oh, okay, maybe he's not actually as good as a starter as we thought. And I think last year, maybe the last couple of years, he's really stepped up and proven that he is worth being a starting center, um, at least on fringe playoff teams. So I, I think, Again, with this at the this point in the draft where the quality's kind of thin, I feel like this is a good spot for Pirtle. Yeah, you get a rim running center who can block shots. <laughs> I mean, pretty hard not to like that at twelve. Yeah. Um, number thirteen, I'm gonna go with the guy who's made the most threes in a season in Minnesota Timberwolves history. That's right. I'm going with Malik Beasley. <laughs> um, not really much to add. I mean has been kind of tossed around 
but he's a good player. So I I want to see where he ends up next because I doubt he plays the whole year in Utah next year. Um, Dylan, who do you have as the last guy of this lottery? This is weak. <laughs> yeah, my pick will probably surprise you, but um, I mean, listen, we have some great options at this point. I mean, we've got Kay Felder, we've got George Niang, Tyler Ulis, Deontay Davis. Don't I forget mean, about Dragon Bender. Dragon Bender, Gershon Yabaselli. Like, there's some excellent picks that are sadly not going to make the list. Georgios Papianis. Papianis was was one of the first cuts for me. I mean, just just barely missing out. Uh, as NCAA tournament folks would say, he's on the bubble. Um, I'm going to Torian Prince here. Oh, how did I forget about him? Yes, Torian he is. Prince was as as I've stated on this podcast many times. I've I've fluctuated my opinions on him, but I think last season he really turned kind of turned around on me. When he was with Brooklyn, I just I just really hated the way he played. Like he just seemed to force shots, and he wasn't really trying on defense. And once he got out of that situation, went to Cleveland and then Minnesota, I feel like he's he's just gotten he's gotten better about fitting in and just playing his role. And I think, especially in Cleveland, I think he was really good uh, last. I think it was last year he was there. Um, he I, I just really liked the way he played and. Again, at this point in the draft, there's really no other options to me <laughs> besides Prince. I mean, everyone else is is a scrub. Uh, there's some, yeah, there's some guys that are still in the league, but just barely hanging on. Maybe. I mean, George Cor- Niang was good last year. I'll give him that. Who was George Niang was good last year. Not yeah. great. He was good. Yeah, and his teammate Corkmaz, like you know, he's worth considering. Eh. Uh, <laughs> But it's it's pretty bleak at this point. I feel like Prince was an easy pick. Yeah, that's um, it's not great. <laughs> the back half of this draft. Once we got past once we got past Buddy Healed, it wasn't great. Um, Dylan, I want to thank you so much for doing this with me. This was a blast. Yeah, for sure, man. It's it's uh you know. As, as discussed previously, the the weekly game conversations are, are unlikely at this point with my job, but I still love coming on here and, and talking some some big picture NBA stuff. Shooting the breeze. So let's let's go ahead and keep this a thing. Dylan, um, I don't know when this one is going to come out, but... I'll, I'll promote the plugs. I'll do the plugs later. So thank you so much for joining me and thank you all so much for listening.